This evening, our sermon text will be taken from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for gathering us together. We thank you for the ability, the, the transportation, the freedom in this country to gather together, worship and praise your name. We pray that what we do tonight will be worship and praise to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So over the past couple of weeks now, Pastor Bob has been sharing with us what it means to be the church from chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. That, that, that Christ is the church's head, that his people are gathered together in, into one people, that, that the church is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who profess the true religion and their children. That, that God has given the church the means of grace, that is to say, the word, the sacrament, and prayers for, for the gathering and protecting of the saints in this life. That the Holy Spirit then makes these, these means of grace effectual. That is to say, he, he makes them actually work in God's people. That the church is, is the house of the family of God. And that there is no ordinary possibility of salvation outside of it. This evening now, we'll be covering chapter 26 of the confession, entitled, Of the Communion of Saints. And we are going to see what it means for, for the believer to be in union with Christ as his head, 
but also what it means to be in communion with one another as the people of God, as, as this one family, this one household. And to do this, we're going to be looking at this, Paul, this, this passage from, from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. And we are going to see that because God has given us Christ in his word, we can mature in our knowledge of him and build each other up according to the word. To do this, we're going to be looking at three things this evening. First, we're going to be looking at a call, our call to walk, our foundation in Christ, and our life in communion. Again, that's our call to walk, our foundation in Christ, and our life in communion. So let's get started this evening as we take a look at our call to walk. So the first thing that we are struck by is the Apostle Paul, this prisoner for the Lord, is exhorting Christ's church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here we are presented with our problem this evening. Christ's church is full of sinners. These Ephesian Christians and those of us here this evening still have a problem with sin, this side of glory. So this, this word for called is the same word in the Greek for called that Pastor Bob shared with us last week. It's this divine initiative. It's, it's a special privilege and responsibility. So we need Paul's exhortation, his reminder here to walk in a manner worthy of our calling because we're corrupt human beings that revert to our old ways apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to be reminded to walk as Christians and in Christ, we are given the grace to do so. But this call is not an option. And what does this walk look like? Well, as we see in our passage, it looks like being humble and gentle. It looks like being patient and loving. And it looks like maintaining unity and peace. Being a Christian looks different from the rest of the world. Being united to Christ and to one another in Christ is evidenced by these fruits within the body. This is what is exhibited when one walks in a manner worthy of the calling to which he has been called. Now, the problem is that these fruits, unfortunately, are not always our default. They're not our default. We can be proud. We, we can be harsh and short and hurtful. We can, sow dis, we can sow discord and strife. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't fight for the truth, as we'll see later in our text. But even if we're right, we can win the battle and lose the war, as it, as it said. Paul is exhorting these Christians to act like Christians, especially in the church. And the reason this is to be exhibited is, to, is seen here in verses 4 through 6, where we read, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We, we are not to be at war with one another because we are to be one in Christ. In fact, in these three verses, the word one is mentioned seven times. Paul is, is really belaboring this oneness here. We, we are all part of the same body. The same spirit guides and directs and sanctifies and applies redemption to us. We all have, have the same hope of salvation and glory purchased for us in Christ Jesus. 
We have the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism, and we all worship and know the same God. We believe in this one holy God who has revealed himself to us and has given us his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now remember, this is the same Paul who also said in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So why then is it that the church today is so fragmented? Why does what is supposed to be the communion of the saints so often appear to be the disunity of the saints? We've seen congregations fall apart. We've witnessed the the hurt and strife brought about by theological differences. We've seen the fallout. The sad part is, some of us have even contributed to it. Some of us have provided that hot take on the internet. Some of us have, have been proud. Some of us have been short. Some of us have left our brother or sister there to struggle rather than get in the muck and mire there to help them out. And some of us have formed factions within the body. In our zeal, we have caused division within the body of Christ. And the reason we have done this is because we have lost focus on God the Father. We've lost focus on his word. We've lost focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we've lost focus of the state of our own sinfulness before a holy God. Throughout church history, we've fallen victim to people within the church saying, wouldn't it be a great idea if apart from the word of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ. We, we've, we've not been like those noble Bereans of Acts 17 who tested all things against the scriptures. We've strayed from the truth. So let's get reoriented by taking a look at our foundation in Christ. This is our second point this evening. In verse 7 we read, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here the Apostle Paul tells us how God establishes and preserves us. God gifts each person in his church differently in Christ. It's as Calvin says in his commentary on this passage, a certain proportion is allotted to each member and it is only by communicating with each other that all enjoy what is sufficient for maintaining their respective places in the body. The diversity of gifts is discussed in another epistle and very nearly with the same object. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Such a diversity, we are there taught, is so far from injuring that it tends to promote and strengthen the harmony of believers. The meaning of this verse may thus be summed up. On no one has God bestowed all things. Each has received a certain measure. Being thus dependent on each other, they find it necessary to throw their individual gifts into the common stock and thus to render mutual aid. So, So God sustains his people within the body by various gifts given in Christ. And all of these gifts are given by the one Holy Spirit to contribute to this one body, each member fulfilling his or her God given role. As we continue into verse 8, Paul quotes from Psalm 68. It says, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So the picture here is actually one of a victory march. After a battle, a triumphant general or or king would celebrate by parading through the city with this procession 
of subdued and humiliated enemy captives, and then he would proceed to give gifts in honor of his great victory to the various people. So the picture here is one of a victorious Jesus marching triumphantly through the city with his enemies conquered, passing out these gifts to his people. This is the mighty Jesus that we are here to worship this evening. This is the great head of our church. Paul goes on to elaborate on what Christ has accomplished in the following verses. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the eternally begotten Son of God, Most High, has come down to this earth, born of a woman, born under the law, and he has won the battle and accomplished the task that was laid out for him by the Father. He lived that perfect life according to the law. He died in our place on the cross as a payment for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He ascended up into heaven. Jesus Christ has secured salvation for those who are his. For those who are united to him by faith. This is the gospel. And the gifts that Christ our Lord has given his church in our passage this evening center around the ministry of the word. Though there are also other gifts that we see in scripture. For instance, there's wisdom and knowledge. There's faith and there's service. There's generosity and so on and so forth. As we see in places such as Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And we read here, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And what is it that all of these offices have in common? They all preach the word. The apostles were Christ's sent out ones. They were the eyewitnesses of his ministry. They saw his miracles. And by his power, they even did a few themselves to verify what was being done. And then they died proclaiming that gospel message to those around them. The prophets were were God's mouthpiece to his people who who revealed his will to them. And and while these two offices of, of prophet and apostle no longer exist, God has since revealed himself ultimately in his son Jesus Christ, we still see that there are these evangelists and shepherds and teachers working off the foundation that they left us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as Paul says earlier in this very letter, in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, which we also heard from this morning, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is what our evangelists and shepherds and teachers are to bring to God's people. The evangelist goes out into the nations making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded them. Our shepherds and teachers also do this within the local congregations. They're the ones that administer the means of grace. Again, that's the word, the sacraments, and prayer to God's people. And why do these offices bring the word of God to to his people? It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. 
Because as, as we continue in our passage this evening, we see that, that it equips the saints. That is to say, everyone who professes to know Christ and, and are united to him. And, and he does it for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Making us mature in him. It's the ministry of the word that, that enables each of us here to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. The ministry of the word gives us our sword in the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the ministry of the word enables us to have unity of faith and knowledge in the Son of God. It makes us mature in Christ so that we aren't taken in by the false doctrines, by the snake oil salesmen of the world, or by its lies. It's as we see in question and answer three of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duties God requires of man. The word of God is, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. To do the very thing that we were created to do. Brothers and sisters in Christ... If you believe in this great Lord and Savior, you are united to this Jesus this very moment. And you have forgiveness in Him. So keep your finger where we are and turn back with me now to Ephesians 3. We're going to be looking at 14 through 19. Just a little ways back. It might even be on the same page that you're on. But Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ dwells in your hearts by faith and fills you with all the fullness of God, as we have just seen. This is the reality of every Christian here this evening. But the ministry of the Word is not only for our individual benefit, it's also for the church as the body of Christ, as, as individual believers united to one another in Christ. Which brings us to our final point this evening, our life in communion. So verse 15 continues, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So rather than being little children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, we are to speak the truth found in God's word to one another in love. We, we're, we're to bolster one another up in God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word in order that we might grow individually and corporately in Christ, who is our head. Who Christ is and what he commands us to do is revealed to us in his word. Therefore, we are to, to encourage and, and correct one another by it as members of the same body. As Paul says in Romans 12, we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And the only way that we'll ever know the will of God is by his special revelation. The word of God. The Bible. And this is why the congregation vows to be there for the covenant child at his baptism. The, the form of the OPC reads that we are to assist the child and his parents in his Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith. That's all rooted in the word of God. This is why the congregation also vows to be there for the, for the individual becoming a member of the congregation as well. Here we vow to receive her into full communion in the church. The whole congregation, all of us, the whole congregation, is obligated to receive her. For in Christ we are members of one another. Christ claims this sister as his own and calls you to serve her in love. Therefore you ought to commit yourself before God to assist her Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith and in the fellowship of the believers. Brothers and sisters, we, we are to aid one another in growing in Christ's likeness and in the word of God as delivered by the prophets and the apostles and ultimately Jesus Christ. That's the way that we do that. And we see here in verse 16 that we, the body of Christ, are joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped in Christ it's like we see in John 15, Christ is the vine and we are the branches. He is the cornerstone, as, as, as we uh, just read in Ephesians 2, and, and Christ is the head of his body, the church. Christ is our source of life. If the branches are cut off from the vine, they crumble up, they die, they're thrown into the fire and burn. If the cornerstone is taken out of the building, the building falls. Without Christ, we have nothing but a few empty years in this world with its pleasures and then judgment. So let us build one another up in Christ as revealed in his word. And when each member of the body is working properly, we read that it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what it means to be in the communion of the saints. To be united to Jesus Christ, our head, by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and to receive his gift of faith, having fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another in love, having communion in each other's gifts and graces, using the gifts that the Lord has given us for the mutual good of the body, both privately and publicly, for the worship of God and in, in holy fellowship, for the edification of Christ's church, and for the blessing of his people. So, little farms. How are you doing as those united in Christ and united to each other believer here in Christ? This is what separates a vibrant community of faith growing in Christ Jesus and building each other up in love and good works unto him and being just another gathering of consumers looking to check the Christianity box on a Sunday. Again, this is what separates a vibrant community of faith growing in Christ Jesus and building each other up in love and good works unto him and being just another gathering of consumers looking to check the Christianity box on Sunday. Being united to Christ means being in his word, living it out by the power of the Holy Spirit and serving one another. A stagnant naming and claiming of Christ is not evidence of one's union with Christ or his church. 
Disciples of Christ are, are always progressing, being sanctified and persevering in him by the Holy Spirit. Even when they are struggling with difficult circumstances or besetting sin, because they are lovingly being carried along by their sovereign and almighty God. Because Christ can't fail in his atoning work for those who are united to him by faith. Those who are in him can't remain dead in their sin. It's just the nature of who Christ is. If, if he's saving somebody, he's going to save them. Praise God, right? What an assurance we have in Jesus Christ. Now, I must say that since Ruthie and the kids and I have been attending Little Farms, we've been very encouraged with, with the way this body steps up to serve one another. As one who sits on the education committee, it was a joy to see everybody step up and sign up for, for Sunday school. You know, it's been great to see our elders and deacons, and I've had the privilege of sitting on the outreach committee too. But as we know, we can always grow. There are those in this body that are still struggling in ways we don't know. There are those in our communities that, that, that don't know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those that don't know his word. So we've got our work cut out for us to the glory of God alone. And, and praise God that he even uses these broken vessels such as ourselves to do his work. But let us all pray that the Lord would do a mighty work through the ministry of Little Farms Chapel. That, that, that we would be faithful in, faithful in carrying out the work that he has given us to do. Now maybe you're visiting with us this evening or you're live streaming with us and have never heard of or, or, or put your faith in, in Jesus Christ. Maybe this is the first time you, you've heard of this great gospel. If that's you, I'd invite you to pray that the Holy Spirit w- would give you the gift of faith. That, that, you would become, that you would come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray that you would take up God's holy word. That, that you would learn of Christ's great salvation. That you would repent of your sins. That you would grow in him. I pray that you would use whatever gifts it is that the Lord sees fit to give you for Christ and for those who are united to him. And that you would know the joy that comes with doing what you were created to do. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to myself or anyone here. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But don't wait another day to do so. Life is just too short. May we all be good stewards, though, of the gifts that God has given us in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And may we all be so bold as to share those gifts with those around us in the coming weeks to the glory of God alone. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of salvation that you have given us in Jesus Christ, our head. And we thank you for the gift of his body, the church. We praise you for for our union with Christ and we thank you for our communion with one another. Thank you for giving us your word that we might grow more and more to maturity in Christ. And we thank you for those whom you have placed in our lives to help us along in our Christian nurture. Please forgive us for the times that we have failed to be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. Forgive us for not using your word that you have so graciously given us as we ought. Thank you for sending us your son, Jesus Christ, for giving us your word and for placing us in community with one another. May we all grow in Christ as we build each other up in the body, always speaking the truth to one another in love. Please help us not to stray. 
We ask this all in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.